Well, I want to talk to you about trusting God in, and not just trusting God in, but through every situation in your life. Two-part series starting this week and the next week. And, uh, you know, I'm going to use words like confidence and faith and assurance, and all of those things go together in that word trust. But trust or confidence is living as if God is who he says he is and that he will do everything that he has promised to do. Do you believe that? Say yes. And I'm excited to share with you today. And before we go to our main scripture in Genesis 22, I want to read out of Proverbs 3 and verse 5. And you've heard this before, and you probably know it by heart, but it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and I want you to know this, these are polar opposites, that he is saying rather than leaning on your own understanding, lean into trust, and lean into trusting God in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, listen, I know as we went through our presidential elections last year, and we've gone through this, and there's many people in our nation that think the gates of heaven have opened, and others think that we are going to hell in a handbasket. You know, there's these kind of different thoughts, you know. People are all over the map on this. And my encouragement to you is, is not to be worked up either way as believers in Christ. We pray, we do our part, and that God's will would be done. But when all is said and done, I want you to call to remembrance to not let your confidence rest in systems or a political party, or any particular individual. God did not get voted out of office. How many of you are with me? Amen? God is still God no matter what happens. God has never failed to be God in and through every circumstance in our lives. So that's why I want to talk to you today and next week about trusting God and having your confidence anchored in what really matters. It's easy to look at the condition of our world and our nation and, and waver in our beliefs. I want to let you know when you feel that way, remind yourself as a child of God, my trust is in the Lord. Genesis 22, if you'll turn there with me, first book of the Bible, we're going to go and look at today. Here is the story of a man named Abraham demonstrating incredible high levels of trust in God. And I want to read it, and then I want to share some observations about trusting in God. Starting in verse 1, Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said this, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Now, I just pause a little bit. This kind of seems to be one of the most barbaric requests that God made of Abraham or maybe of any individual. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God called him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering, placed it in his son Isaac. He himself carried the knife, uh, and uh, carried the wood, uh, the fire, and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, "Father, yes, my son." Abraham replied, "The the fire and the wood are here." Isaac said, "But where is the lamb for the burnt offering?" 
Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on my boy. He said, uh, on, on, on my boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up. And there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Here's what I want to talk about. First point, God doesn't offer explanations. The first thing that I want to know, if I am Abraham, is the whys. Why? What's the reason you're asking me to do this? But in all my years of learning about God and questions about God, one thing that I've learned is that when God speaks, he talks in sound bites. Go, come, follow me. Rather than a full dissertation of the details, there are always gaps that we look at and we have questions, the how, why, when, but God doesn't offer explanations. And there's a reason for that because, you know, really if we kind of had all the full dissertation, you know, we probably wouldn't go through the process and get to the prize, right? We probably wouldn't go through the pain and ever get to the game. There is a reason why God doesn't say everything when he talks to us. You know, as a people who want explanations before we trust God, God wants us to trust him without an explanation. Now, those of you that think this is wrong, this is the same exact thing you parents and your grandparents do to your children and your grandchildren. When we run out of explanations of talking to them and we are absolutely exhausted, we finally come down to the last couple of words, because I said yes. Right. We're saying, no, 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 listen to me, listen to what I have to say, no more explaining, I'm your daddy, I'm your mama, I'm your parent, I'm your grandparent. Trusting God is not about understanding what God is thinking or what he is planning. There's some things about your life and my life that we will never understand, whether you trust God or not. Some people, they blame God, they don't understand what he's doing, some people get mad at God or upset as if getting upset with God so he will explain himself. How many of you know that never works with God? That we just, you know, we get upset with him because we, we think, well, he's going to explain himself. Well, that rarely ever happens in our life, does it? I'm just going to get upset with God. Others trust God and don't understand. Either way, you won't understand. 
So the sooner that you realize this, I've got two options and neither one of them includes understanding, the easier it will be for you to choose the right one. If you move on to the story out of verse 1 into verse 2, it says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. The next is the times of uncertainty present great opportunities to trust God. I want you to know that. The times of uncertainty present great opportunities to trust in who God is. In God We Trust first appeared on the U.S. coins in 1864 during the Civil War where 600,000 Americans died in a time of heightened turmoil that filled our nation. Our nation was divided, and it's in that season when you find In God We Trust printed on coins. The next time it came up, it was on paper currency in 1956. Our national leaders adopted the official motto of the U.S. during the Cold War. Again, at a time in history where there was incredibly high anxiety, people were troubled, sons and daughters were being sacrificed on our battlefields, the nation's character was being tested. When communism was at its peak, our nation's leaders were moved to declare, in God we trust as our nation's motto. And I want to say this, I'm thankful that our nation's leaders took that stand to trust in God in uncertain times, leading the way in the declaration, and it shaped our nation into a great nation. That even though they were saying, you know, we are in a time of difficulty, and we have more questions than we do answers, there's one thing that we are going to say here, is in God we trust. And I want to let you know that we are beneficiaries of a nation that puts its trust in God. We live in the greatest country in the world, and the reason that we do is because leaders way back when had the courage to set the course, and they saw the opportunities that we lived in. I just wonder if we get a hand clap that we live in the greatest nation on the earth. Amen? We do. That... We understand this, and, and if you, you have some doubts in that, I want to encourage you to get on an airplane and go to another country. I, I want to encourage you that you probably are a perfect candidate for one of our missions trips that we take throughout the years, that you would go and you would find out what takes place on other soils and be incredibly grateful for God's hand upon this country. We are a blessed nation. I want to encourage you to stay certain in uncertain times, in economic uncertainty that you can stay certain, in relational uncertainty you can stay certain, in transitional uncertainty. Maintain your resolve when you don't understand the season that you're in. In loneliness, whether you're single or whether you're single again, when you're going through struggles with your health, when people disappoint you, when the checkbook is upside down, that you can still be certain in uncertain times and you can still trust God with all of your life. You know, Tom Petty wrote a song, I Won't Back Down. Now, I'm not going to sing it for you because I'll probably slay it, but not, not in a good way. But uh, I, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You could stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Going to stand my ground? I won't 
be turned around. I'll keep the world from dragging me down. I'm going to stand my ground, and I won't back down. So when there is uncertainty in your life, I want you to go petty on somebody. Tom Petty, that is, okay? I, I, want, I won't back down, but I'm going to trust God anyway. Just remember, I want you to be reminded of this. When you, when you see this, just remind, be, be reminded, when you see people experiencing God's favor and God's blessing, you're only seeing the highlight reel. I want you to understand that. When you see the favor, you see the blessing of God upon somebody's life, that is only the highlight reel. You never knew what took place behind them in all the years where they were serving God and they were staying faithful in prayer and they were giving to the Lord all of their life. And we never see that many times. We don't hear the stories. All we see is the highlight reel of what took place in the favor and the blessing of the Lord when they gave generously in a different season, when they sacrificed. Also, I want to tell you the opportunity to trust God doesn't happen in a place of addition, but in a place of subtraction. When God is talking to Abraham in verse 2, know this, trust is the issue on the table. He's asking Abram to surrender. He's asking us to surrender, to let go of an idea, to let go of our plan, to let go of our way, let go of, in or, of, of something in our life in order to allow God to take us where he wants to take us. It's about giving something up that you want to keep. It's about cutting ties with something or someone that means something to you. In a season of addition, you don't have to trust God. How many of you are with me? Can you say yes? In a season of addition, you don't have to trust God. It's not hard. It's not a moment of testing for trust when things are being added to you moment by moment. Does this make sense to you? But when he is going to ask, is he's going to ask at a certain point many times for us to surrender something. Remember this, God will never ask you to give something you don't have, but he may ask you to give something you'd rather keep. So it is in that moment that you have the opportunity to trust God. I want to let you know this is that obedience normally takes you down before you'll ever be brought up. That I don't mean taken down in a bad way, but we seem to be at a certain place in our life, and we say, well, I'm choosing to be obedient to the Lord. Obedience will feel like you're going down first, but what will happen is God says, I will raise you up in due time if you will stay obedient to me and what I'm calling you to surrender. How many of you know what tithing is? Can I see your hands? Tithing. I've heard that word. There's a lot of you. Some of you that don't, I'm just going to explain it to you a little bit. Tithing is an act of giving God the first tenth of all of your increase. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your crops. Now, I want to pause for a moment before I finish that is that we have to know this. In God's economy, tithing is not about money, but is about first things. You've heard other preachers, pastors, you've read this, you've seen it in the Word, we've talked about it here. So before money in the Old Testament, it was the first ripe harvest that a farmer would have. For example, so when it was 
field was harvested is that he would take the first tenth off the top that would not go to his table and would not go to market, but he would sell it to go to the house of, he would, he would just go to the house of the Lord. He wouldn't sell it, he wouldn't let it go to market, he, he wouldn't keep it for himself, or whether it was a firstborn sheep, that, that it wouldn't go to market, it wouldn't be for his table, but it would, it would go to the Lord's house. Now, when people heard a few moments ago, when I turned to tithing, some people actually put their guard up when I made the shift, when I went from talking in trust to talk about tithing, but I want to let you know that it is one and the same in our lives. Because what happens when you start talking about money and you start talking about giving to the Lord, people actually start talking and thinking in terms of subtraction. As long as I'm here today and I can come and I can talk on any given week of that we serve a God that blesses us, a God of blessing and favor, I can get a lot of support for that. That's, there's a lot of amens. But subtraction is the opportune and the opportunity to actually trust God. And many people think that God wants them to give something or give up something. They only think, oh, wow, that's really bad. That's uh, subtraction. And what happens is they often form an opinion that God must be a taker, that, that there is a sense that, oh, my goodness, that, that God wants all my stuff. I mean, that's really all that God wants. That really is all that he's after, isn't he? So, so I, I'm going to need a person to help me in John Campbell. Will you help me today? Thank you. Didn't even talk to you about it. Thank you. Come on up here, John. Give John a great big hand clap. Serves our ministry. Thanks for coming up. I'm going to give you uh, $10. Okay? I'm going to give you $10. Now, as I give that to you, I'm going to ask that uh, you would uh, give me a dollar back. Thank you. That was good. You were obedient. <laughs> she, she trained you well. Great job, Mindy. Now, th this isn't gimmicky. I'm just asking. If, if you were to categorize me, would you categorize me as a giver or a taker? Well, some might say, well, you know, uh, you're a taker. Others might say, well, you're a generous giver. And if you were going to form an opinion about me, would you say that I'm a giver or would you say that I'm a taker? See, what we do when we think about the dollar that I asked to have back, many people immediately think of God as a taker, but you don't think God is a taker if you see God as the one who has given you all you have anyways, right? So I see a few light bulbs going on in the room. And if that's attention, then pay attention to that tension. So much of your life experience is determined by that paradigm that we operate in our life either that God is a giver or God is a taker. If he's a taker, you have to protect what you have, right? Well, he's a taker. I got to protect it. You know, I got to, right? 
If he's a giver, we can surrender all that we have, knowing that he's looking out for us anyway, that, that he wants the best for us, and that he will provide for us, right? So the concept comes in our mind, however we are brought up, the paradigm, the thought, but it all runs through that filter in our life. And it challenges us and it tests us to see will we really trust the Lord with everything, not just in money. I'm going to give that back to you because God's good for you. That's your $10. Maybe you want to go buy a shirt or something. No, you're going to take it. Mindy, you want it. Get out the stage. All right. Thank you, John. See, we run things through that filter in our life. We really do. Um, verse 10. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's a second part of that. Yeah, we've got to get to that. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Derek Carr. He's an NFL quarterback. And he plays for the Raiders. And um, he just was offered in the last couple of days, if you've seen it, he was offered a five-year deal worth $125 million. And he took it. It was great. Smart man. But the questions come, and you can find this all over YouTube, NFL Network, everything like that. You can find the, the, the reporters, they're asking him, hey, what are you going to do now with this $125 million? I mean, man, this is amazing. And, yeah, you're a great player. And you're gonna... And so he says, well, he said, what I'm going to do, and you can find out, he goes, you know, I've been eating clean because my trainers have told me to eat clean. He said, what I'm going to do when I get this money, he said, I am going to go and buy a lot of Chick-fil-A, number one. That's great, all right? He's going to break it down a little bit. And he said, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tithe to the local church. And the third thing he said he was going to do is he said he was going to buy a really nice gift for his wife. That, those are great. That's a smart man, right? <laughs> Here is a guy that understood. He says these words. Look it up. It's amazing. He's, he's flat out. This is what I'm going to do. I was like, well, I'm guessing, let me try to give you a spiritual answer. No, he grew up in the church. He was taught this. He said, listen, I'm just going to give out of this, this tithe. And I thought, man, one of the things I kind of liked it and said, hey, man, you ever heard about Abundant Life Church in Stevens City, Virginia? No, I didn't, I didn't say that. But I did like it on Twitter. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. <laughs> but I think if you take a look at this and then you rewind the tape, see, that's what you see on the front end. What he says then on the back end of the conversation in that video is, hey, I go back and I remember the first $700 out of college that I tithed on. Hello. Are you following me? You don't get to the one, two, five million without the first 700 giving to the Lord. You only saw the highlight reel. We only saw the highlight reel, church. Come on. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, that is a message waiting to happen, right? That guy is a living, walking message before the Lord. He saw the Lord as a giver, not a taker in his life. And he will give back to the local church. And people think, well, God's not watching. You really? Oh, yeah. What you do matters. What you did with that first $700, 
all the way to what you're making today. God sees it. You hear people say sometimes, I only want enough to live. I just want enough to live on enough. Well, enough, enough for my needs, what, to be met. That's what they're saying. That's one of the most selfish things that you can say. Some reject the second portion of this verse and say, in some saintly way, they reject God's blessing on their lives. They some way try to look angelic and pious and all of this. God, if I look at the word of the Lord and know that who he is in my life, God wants to supply more than enough because he says self-proclamation, I am El Shaddai. I am the God that is more than enough for you and every need that you have. Now, if I read the word that's in there, how many of you are with me? He said, I am the El Shaddai. He said, I am the God that is more than enough. Let's just get over this mindset in Christianity. You've heard me talk about the poverty mindset, the poverty mindset, the poverty mindset, the poverty mindset. Oh, I just need enough for my needs. No, if you're in Christ, you serve the God of more than enough. It's time to start living that way in the Lord. Amen. Now listen, I know that sounds glamorous, and that maybe is a highlight real statement, and it takes some time to get there. I understand that, but we have to know in our life and in our giving that we serve a God that's more than enough. So, so that's why when we receive offerings and we tell people generously give, it's increasing so that we're able to meet other people's needs, to give generously on all occasions, the Bible says. You know, two weeks ago, Pastor Mike preached and, and we sp- he spoke about missions and we received the offering. And you responded in, for missions for Guatemala and Lithuania this summer that you gave over $10,000 two weeks ago to worldwide missions for our trips coming up. That is awesome. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I love that. That there are generous people in the house who get it. Who get it. Now, you can't give what you don't have. How many are with me? Now, if you're Abraham and you stop at verse 2, you never see verse 15, 16, 17. I'm just wondering how many people in this room are still living in verse 1 in your life. See, you're stuck on, what? God, you've called me to do this? You told me to give my best? And so many people are stuck on verse 1, and they're like, well, I want the blessing. I want. Well, there's a process to the blessing of the Lord, and it's called obedience and surrender before the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you, if you don't get past verse 1 in your life, you're going to be stuck there thinking, oh, my, oh, man, all we have is a God that's a taker, take, take, take. When I come to church and they talk about these messages about money, I just want to walk out the door. Blah, 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 and all of that. You never make it to 15, 16, and 17. It's a premature judgment that sees God as a taker that we need to know. Listen, you and I can't hang on to it anyways. If you go beyond verse 2, verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about, Early the next morning. No time delays. 
Last point is trust is acting on the word that God gives you now. We live in a society that overthinks and underacts. Uh, is that true, church? So many people get stuck in the place of good intentions in the world we live in. There's good intentions all over the globe. In Christ, it goes beyond that, that we not just, yeah, we hear it and all of those things, but, you know, I have to think about it or I have to pray about it. Gag me on that. If you come to one of our pastoral staff and we're talking about missions and you're saying, well, I need to pray about whether God wants me to go on this mission trip, uh, you know, if we look at you weird and run away from you, please forgive us. But it's like, wait a minute, this is already in the word of the Lord to go. It's already in print to go. Well, I need to pray about whether I'm going to witness to my neighbor. What? He said, you're to go do this. It's already, the truth is already there. And so many times we're saying, I'm waiting on God. God said, I'm waiting on you. Right? And sometimes that wait verse can become a verse where people, oh, I, this is a great verse to just stay stagnant in. God says, no, I'm waiting on you now to get up and go do what I've called you to do. You know the word of the Lord. Trust is acting on the word that God gives you. But so many times we turn it into prolonged places of uncertainty. And what happens is it turns us into apathetic people. When we overthink things, we talk ourselves out of what God has told us to do. Listen, every major religion knows Abraham to be the father of their faith. So what God says is every nation will be blessed by you and your willingness to surrender a son will result in you having many sons and daughters. In fact... All nations, Abraham, are going to be blessed by what happened to you and your willingness to trust in me. Your willingness to trust in me has resulted in me pouring out my blessing. That single act of you doing this has caused me to pour out blessing upon you. Now, I'm glad God is not asking me or you in a barbaric way to offer up our sons or daughters but I'm glad that God places a demand on my life because the demand he places on us sets us up for the benefit and the blessing that will come as a result of the demand that he places on us. People want the blessing of the Lord all day long, 24-7, when over here God is saying, hey, I've told you to surrender and be obedient to me. This is my command to you. Act upon the word of the Lord. Well, God, I just want the blessing. God says, you got to go through this place like Abraham did, and you have to give me your whole heart before you'll receive the full blessing that I want. This doesn't happen without this. And in Christianity, many times, we think it does because God is a blesser, he is by nature, but his blessings are connected to his obedience. You have to go through the place of going through and being obedient to whatever God says and tells you to do, like he told to Abraham, and he says, you go through that place, and there's going to be dark days. You don't, you can't, we can't even imagine the thought of Abraham, of what he's going through, getting ready to go to the mountain. Uh, my son... 
It's all the way to the place of he did it. He said, I'll do it. He went through with it. And before he got there, there was an escape. There was a way out. And God provided. God has it all planned out. Are you and I willing to obey? No, now, there, no, no delay. No delay because we know the word. No delay. Now, I believe as we've spoken today, God's spirit has implanted himself in your heart and your mind. He's told you words. Boom. You are to do this. You are to do that. You are to do it. You would walk away from here today. And you would not delay, but you would do what God's called you to do. God says, obey me. Trust me. I am on your side. I will never let you down. Without the demand, we never experience the blessing. There's one thing I tell my staff, and I tell them, when you get done with services, when you get done with Sunday, when you get done with Wednesday night, you're going to be tired. You ought to be tired. We're flesh and blood. Why? There was a demand put upon the touch of God in your life. There was a demand placed upon the anointing in your life. So what's that cause us to do? Give out fully, but then we have to go and we have to say, God, I need more of you. I need more of your power to go back into what I'm supposed to do. That's just like you and just like me. Don't be surprised when God puts a demand on this call and the anointing and the special touch of God in your life that you're going to be worn out sometimes and you need to go and recover because Jesus had to do that and he had to pray and get energized from his Father. Amen? How many of you are with me? This is another, this another, this is another sermon for another time. All right, let's stand to our feet. All right, let's, just, let's get ready to get out of here. So we got to go out of here and be obedient today. we got to get out of here. And, uh, we, and we've just sung. And I mean, that worship earlier was fire. Amen? I mean, that was fire. That was awesome. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us, that you are a God that we can have relationship with. Thank you for the story that, God, you don't offer us explanations, but it sound bites many times. Lord, that we can realize those times of uncertainty present great opportunities to trust you. The opportunity to trust you, God, doesn't happen in a place of addition, but in the place of subtraction. And that we would act upon your word today, now. Whatever is you put in our spirit, we would be obedient to do it. We pray this in your mighty name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless and have a wonderful week in the Lord. We'll see you back here next week.